0: So we read just the beginning bit of Ecclesiastes, the the first 11 verses uh, of chapter 1, and I I guess you could sum up the book with the title that we've had for the series, uh, Live Wise. Uh, We're all here for, relatively speaking, uh, a short length of time in the history of the world, our lives are short. How, How are we going to live and how are we going to spend this short amount of time? Really, this book deals with just those questions. It asks the big questions of life. I I guess at the same time, verse 2 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it's a little bit surprising. You might be surprised to find a, a verse like this in the Bible. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And you sit there and you think, I thought the Bible was here to encourage us, to build us up, to strengthen us. Why has it got a verse in it that says something as, as empty and helpless as that? Uh, one of the things that I would say, the first thing that I, was, I would say is that the great thing is that the Bible relates to the reality of our experience. It, te- it speaks into where we often truly are. Um, You know, one of the worst experiences is if you are right in the middle of an incredibly difficult situation in life and that you, you get taken along to a party where everybody is totally kind of filled with excitement and happiness and everybody's buzzing and you're in the middle of that and inside you are falling apart, but you're surrounded with joy and happiness and excitement and and fun and energy, that can be the most devastating of experiences. If the Bible was filled with just happiness and joy and fun, it would never speak powerfully to the reality of where we sometimes are. And that's one of the things that I love about this book, is the fact that it, it engages with the reality of our human experience that there are those moments, those crossroads, those moments where we need that, that moment, of that degree of honesty, of the reality of where we are. So that's one thing that I love about this book, speaking in this way, speaking so bleakly. It doesn't speak bleakly throughout, but, but being honest to our life experience. The second thing is it paints a portrait of reality. Uh, And we mentioned when we looked at this, the the power of portraits in in all sorts of different ways. Portraits in pictures, portraits in media, portraits in film. Uh, One of the recent films that have been released, I, Daniel Blake, is a bleak picture. It is a bleak picture. But that bleak picture is there to be held up in front of our society to say, look at this. We need to do something about this. Uh, And that's what this book does in lots of its sections. It paints a bleak picture not to sort of drag us down but to say, look at this. Reflect on it and let us do something about it. The other thing that this book does is it it introduces concepts to us. The concept of living in in two different ways. Uh, And I would say that all of us Uh, here are living in one way or another according to these two different patterns. Verse 3 says this, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And we've said all along that throughout Ecclesiastes that phrase under the sun uh, is, is repeated again and again to portray the idea of living without the conviction without the belief, without the knowledge of God's existence. It's saying, I'm living just in this life, this world is all that there is, and this under the sun picture, it is this way of describing life, pretending or living or believing convinced that God doesn't exist. It is a life devoid of God. But the book continues, and it kind of creates two perspectives. It gives us another perspective which is living uh, in God's house is one of the phrases that it uses. It introduces a way of living with God truly existing. So, it says we can live without God or we can live with God. And that meaningless, meaningless, I guess, is somebody who's reflecting and saying, for all of the things that I've tried, for all of the things that I've committed myself to, I get to the point where I realize it's pretty meaningless. We're all heading to the same kind of end. Uh, I I, I have the enormous privilege to speak to so many different people, so many different walks of life, Uh, And one of the things that I've found over the years is that it doesn't matter where you are in this world, what your perceived status is in this world, whether you're at rock bottom or whether you're kind of uh, flying the pinnacles of human existence, there are so many of us who reach that point of saying, no matter where I am, life seems meaningless. That's a great start. Have we, got any, have we got anything to get going on? We've got, I've got the thumbs up. So again, what I would say about these questions, I can't promise to give an answer. <laughs> That's not the purpose. It's just a way of helping us to reflect uh, and think. So we've, got, uh, so we've got a great question. Um, why is it called Ecclesiastes? That's a great question. And it's actually a bit of a slap on the wrist for me really, isn't it? because we've been, we've been right the way through this whole series. We've got a book called Ecclesiastes, which is a weird name, and I've never explained it. So, yeah, we get to the end, and then somebody slaps me with a really good question to make sure that I give an answer when we start next time. So it's called Ecclesiastes, which is um, the, uh, a transliteration, a way of translating a word, which in the Hebrew is the koalath. The koalath means either the teacher or the gatherer. Uh, And that word is what Ecclesiastes means. It is the teacher or the gatherer. Uh, And I guess that um, if you think about the word Ecclesiastes, uh, the gathering is where we get the, the idea of Ecclesia, the idea of the church, the gathering. So it's got those two kind of ideas, the gathering, the teacher is gathering different thoughts, gathering different ideas, and he's bringing them together and he's teaching through them. So that's where it comes from. It's, it's the ecclesiasticus, the, the gathering or the teaching. Um, so that it. We got, what's the difference between a wise person and a fool? I, I think the teacher is trying to push that button with all of us. And, and is trying to push us into looking at life and saying, what do you think? kind of throwing up this world in front of us and saying, look at this. He's reflecting in lots of different ways. There's a verse in in, in the Bible which says, uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's a really, that's a kind of, in lots of ways, that's a summary (laughs) of what the teacher is trying to present to us. He's trying to say, look at the way we live, look at the experiences of our human existence, look at the way we respond in different situations, the, th- the moments of emptiness and meaninglessness. And he's saying, can we live, can we truly live with the idea of no God? <laughs> and he, he would say, no, we can't. There's, there's got to be that answer that there is that reality of God. Now, now I guess that that's quite interesting, because it's a very different idea, it's a very different, different definition of fool or wise than what we would naturally tend to think about, isn't it? I, I guess many of us would think it's pretty foolish to believe in God. <laughs> uh, and yet, the New Testament talks about the idea that through fools, God is confounding the wise. He's saying, actually, the Christian message is not really complex. It's not really confuse. It's very simple. We can gather it. We can, we can understand it. It is the true reality of God, the existence of God, and the presence of God in the world in Jesus. That, that's the message. Now, that is foolishness to some but it is wisdom to those who believe. So, in a way, it's kind of turning our wisdom and our foolishness upside down. So, There's a lot of continuation through the Bible of the idea of foolishness and wisdom. Uh, And in a way, the, the book of Ecclesiastes is starting us on that journey. What is foolishness? According to the teacher, according to Ecclesiastes, it's to deny that God is truly there it's to live as though He doesn't exist. Uh, wisdom is to live a life in the light of the existence of God. So, that's, uh, that's a great start. We'll, we'll, we'll crack on. That's good. So, so, I want to, having said that the book kind of jumps from one view to the other, it bounces backwards and forwards. Let me take us through just one of those views of what it's like when it imagines a world without God. It's an example of living under the sun. I find this amazing in terms of its relevance today. 3,000 years old, maybe, this book was written, and yet the example of life under the sun is so incredibly relevant for us today. One of the pictures that it portrays is, is materialism. We live in an incredib- incredibly materialistic society, don't we? Uh, that, that's, we cannot escape it. Uh, it. It's daft to sort of stand here and say, fight against materialism. We can't escape it. We are all, we are all absorbed into, to a greater or lesser extent, uh, a, a materialistic lifestyle. It's where we are in the western world at this point in time. Ecclesiastes 6 verse 1 and 2 says this, I've seen another evil under the sun. See that under the sun idea again? It's saying, imagine that God doesn't exist and it weighs weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions and honor so that they lack nothing their heart's desire but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless a grievous evil. What, what the teacher is saying he said, he's pond, I guess he's pondering at the end towards the end of his life, and he's reflecting back, and he's saying, "I've observed this. I've seen that there's people who've really strived for wealth. And then, right at that point where they they're getting close to that moment of, here's the moment where I'm going, I'm about to, figuratively speaking, hand in my notice, take the retirement, and just enjoy it. And right at that point in time, there are a whole set of circumstances which unfold, and all of that wealth disappears we live in a world, 21st century, where that has been repeated again and again and again. There are so many people who have been through that experience. They think they've made it and then all of a sudden it just disappears and it is grievous under the sun. It's a grievous thing, it's a painful thing. What, what is this What's this digging at? What's it prodding at as an idea? I think it's it's asking us to question, where is our security? Where is our foundation? If, without any existence of God, if all of our objective in life is to provide some sort of financial security or some sort of experiential security, which gets me to a point where I'm okay... And then all of a sudden that can go, I am left absolutely bereft if that's where my security is. Now, do you, see, do you see in that what the teacher is trying to do? He's trying to encourage us not to just look at the bleakness, but to actually look and say, do you know what? It can't just be that. There's got to be more. He's encouraging us. He's he's painting a bleak picture, not to say, isn't it terrible? He's painting a, a bleak picture to say, take it on to the next step. Look at where it must, therefore, go. It must be that there is something more. It raises the question, therefore, about how we live our life day to day. Where are we investing our energy? Where are we creating our security? Jesus says, uh, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where rust does not tarnish and moth does not destroy. He's saying there is a treasure that can be gathered together, which, because it's not a tangible treasure which can rust away or can be destroyed by moths in the ancient world. Two things were precious metals were precious, and clothes were precious. The only problem was that they didn't have an antidote at that time to moths (laughs) in the ancient world. And so, when clothing was a treasure, it could easily be destroyed. That's what Jesus is getting at. If you make your treasure something which is so temporary, if that gets destroyed, you've had it. But you can create a treasure which is eternal. that's what what both the teacher and Jesus are pushing us up against. Make sure that we are spending our life living wisely, creating really true, eternally lasting treasure. So materialism, just one of those little perspectives that the teacher says, living under the sun can look like this. So, does this mean that wealth hinders your faith? That is a great question, isn't it? That is a really great question. I would say absolutely yes and absolutely no. <laughs> it can be either. It really can be either. Uh, if, we, if we live our lives where, where wealth is my absolute security then we are terrified if, if that's at stake. And we are, we are trusting more in that that might go compared to Jesus who will never go. And so it can be a hindrance. That, that, can, that can take our mind, it can consume our thoughts, we can end up, and, and I guess many of us have been there at different times in our life where the the middle of the night, where it's dark and you're by yourself, your thoughts are consumed by the fears of loss. Alternatively, wealth can be the most liberating and freeing of experiences, because it can be used so fruitfully. It can be, it can be. You can hold on to it as I used the descriptioner. Uh, you can hold on with loose fingers. You can enjoy it because actually, God has created this world. He's created a world where we are created to enjoy this world, but also not to enjoy this world selfishly, but to enjoy this world lavishly with others. And so, if we find a place, if we find that wealth is something that we can hold on to with loose fingers, where if it disappears, I'm not falling apart. Because I have an eternal inheritance, but if it's there as well, I can enjoy it with absolute the, the 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 kind of pleasure of seeing what God sees in this world as good. But what God sees in this world as good is not selfishness. It's not me. Me and everybody else can go swivel. It's it's me. And my generosity and my kindness, and can I make the world a better place, a world which reflects God's kingdom more, by living with what He has given me? What what do treasure in heaven look like? Can we experience them under the sun? Wow! I great when you get just thrown questions, because that is such, that is brilliant. What does treasure look like? I think we get little tastes of what true treasure is in this world. Little moments, and where does most of our enjoyment come from? If we reflect back and we think, what is true treasure in this world? I think most of us would say true treasure is found in relationships that are joyful and beautiful, and we thrive in those relationships. That, that's true treasure, isn't it? Now, now, what treasure in heaven looks like, uh, and this is the, the, the sad perspective to relationships, is that relationships end one way or another. They never last in this world. But what does, can, can we experience a treasure in heaven? Well, the experience that we're building up and the treasure that we're building up is a relationship with God. That's what heaven is about. And that doesn't mean that it's kind of floating on a cloud playing a harp wearing a towel It's about a world which is perfectly formed and is beautiful once again where God dwells again with His people and we are in great relationship where tears are wiped away, where pain is gone, where suffering is ended and we enjoy each other and we enjoy God then. That's treasure. So can we experience them now? Well, Jesus said, my kingdom is to come... And my kingdom is, is here as well. So, it's both of those things. It's there now. Some of the most privileged and cherished moments in my life have been the, the treasure of relationship with God's people. They've been really special moments in life. The treasure that I have with family and all of that kind of thing, but the treasure with God's people. Can we see can we get a little glimpse of it now? Yes. The treasure that we can get now is a little glimpse. We can get a little glimpse of what it might be like in a world where we are perfectly healed. There are moments where God intervenes and brings amazing interventions in our lives. It doesn't last forever, but there are moments where God deals with us in incredible ways and we feel an, uh, a moment of a treasure of being, living in a world without tears and without pain. It's as though God places before us little tasters, little hors d'oeuvres <laughs> of what the kingdom is going to be like. And he's saying, this is just a taste, but what's to come is going to be amazing. So can we, tr- can we see it in the future? Or can we see it now? Mm. Yeah, through a glass darkly is what the Bible says. We can kind of get a hint of it, but not completely. So let's move on. Living wise in God's world, because that's kind of what this is moving to. How do we live wise, therefore, in God's world? Consider what God has done. Example of, this is now moving from the under the sun where God doesn't exist to the idea of living in God's world. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what He has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. That's, That's introducing us to an idea of contentedness, living in God's world as our lives unfold. It's saying there are times of joy, there are times of sadness. God is unfolding all of those. The last thing that you need in life is to know what the future is. The last thing that you need in life is to know what the future is. What you need to do is to be able to live peacefully today, no matter what they experience. So, if today brings you incredible joy then enjoy the joy that God is bringing into your world. If today is bringing incredible sadness, that sadness is not going to go away if God doesn't exist. It's still going to be there. In fact, if if God doesn't exist, that's the worst of situations because we've got sadness and no hope. But if we've got God in the middle of sadness, then we've got hope. Now, I guess the question that unfolds from that is saying, what imagine not only if God is out there, what would it be like if God inhabited our world? That's what Ecclesiastes is taking us on a journey towards, because it is a book in the Bible, which is telling a big story, It's taking us to a point where we see God present with us in Jesus. There's a moment where Jesus prays and he says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect, By the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. In the middle of the darkest of days, the greatest comfort is to know that Jesus is praying for us. (laughs) He's interceding for us. Because we can't do anything. We can't change those dark days. But to know that He has come into this world and He knows the reality of our experience and His compassion and His kindness is towards us in the middle of those tough times is breathtakingly helpful. I'll move on to the last point and then we'll just end up with a couple of questions at the end. So the conclusion, living in God's world. We mentioned it, I think it was last week, John Lennon's Imagine song, the kind of supposed ideal of living in a perfect world. Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. It's meant as a song of hope, and yet for me it's filled with incredible sadness. Imagine all the people living for today, because of our human nature, is only going to bring out absolute selfishness that's what that's the outcome he's painting a picture of hope imagine if we could live but history tells us that we can't live like that we just can't ecclesiastes concludes now all has been heard here is the conclusion of the matter Fear God and keep His commandments. That's not be terrified of God. It's actually saying live in awe of God. Live realizing how incredibly perfect, incredibly righteous, incredibly good, and incredibly just God is. For this is the duty of all mankind, for God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil that that is just sounds horrific and yet it's what we need in this world it's actually saying there is justice there is justice that that in in a world which is chaotic as we see now where where suicidal killings seem to result in people causing devastation and getting away with things we live in a world where god says that is not lost <laughs> there will be justice it's what we need and at the same time it is our greatest hope because if we trust in that god now then we're building up treasure in heaven let's just uh, close if there's any more have we got any more yeah is it good then that people experience the meaninglessness of what this world can offer in order to reala- realise that it is only God who can give meaning in our lives? Is it good? Well, is it good? I, I would never say that it's good for us to experience meaninglessness. And yes, at the same time, it is good if that makes sense. It, you can't. It's impossible to say. We should never say, it's wrong to say, I'm glad that you're going through that really tough time. But I want somebody to walk alongside me, in this case the teacher, to, to help me to reflect on those experiences in my life where, where it seems meaningless. I want to walk alongside the teacher so that the teacher portrays that in front of me and helps me to look somewhere else. Because those moments of emptiness, they are consuming. That they eat us, eat away at us. That, that we're not liberated from them if we keep looking at them. We need to be taken somewhere more. And so is it good that we experience it? If finally it takes us to look to God, then, then it's got to be good, hasn't it? If it takes our eyes somewhere else, then that's good. If it consumes us downwards, spiral, spiral, spiral downwards, we're in trouble. I've had great privilege to work with a number of people recently who've been able to reflect that some of their personal experiences, bad as they are, they've been able to say to me, I'm glad that I've been through it because it's helped me to see clearly. That is not me saying it. I'm not saying it's good for you to go through that. It is them saying to me, that was terrible, but I'm glad I've been through it because now I see clearly. I'm not saying it's good, therefore they're saying it's good. Uh, Hopefully that, that helps. Maybe just one more. Have we got loads, Martin? No. Right. Does it not seem meaningless that potentially... Most of God's creation won't ever experience what the Bible says is the true meaning of life. I guess what's behind that is the idea that, the, that there will be many people who won't know about the potential of the hope of life. Let, let me answer that in two ways. Number one, I don't, know, I don't understand what God will do with many people who have never heard about His Son. It seems to me, if we read part of Romans, it seems to me that there is something which God looks at in the absence of the knowledge of His Son. But that's God's business. I don't know. I ain't got a clue. What I do know is that having been told about His Son, then we have to respond. That seems to me to be the only way in which I can answer that. I I honestly don't know. What I do know is that God is kind and God is just and God is wise, way beyond any wisdom that I've got. So there are many things that I've just got to say, I've got to leave it with you. But I do know that He says Now you do know about my son. Now you do know about storing up riches in heaven. Start doing it. (laughs) Just as Nike says, just do it. It's it's a phrase, isn't it? But there's a lot underneath that. There are times when we've just got to do things. Just got to start the journey. We've got to take the step. Because now we've seen it. I, I hope that's been helpful as a conclusion to the book. We're back to normal next Sunday, hope you can make it, and we're starting our new series. We're we're beginning the journey through Easter, Uh, so we're going to be spending four weeks looking at the message of Easter. Uh, And really, the teacher has prepared us because we want to see God, and Easter is where we see God.